You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. And we're live. This week we're live. This is The Human Condition. I'm Vince Orlando. I'm Sean Davis. And uh, there was my first uh, for those of you watching who critiqued my us. Um, I'm, I'm going to watch them as best I can. So... All right, let's let's dive right in. Let let's just get right in. We uh our subject this week is toxic shame. Toxic shame to me in the way it was explained this is in real lay person's terms and me and you just had this conversation. So say I hurt somebody's feelings. Say it's accidentally I know that I've I've done something wrong. You you have that consciousness that tells you you've done something wrong. So when I recognize that I've done something wrong, I'm going to have a feeling associated with that. That feeling is guilt, right? Right. right. It's a natural thing. Toxic shame happens when you take that guilt and carry it into a form of suffering. So for a large part of my life, I identified with my actions. Everything that I did was me. That's who I was. So when I would make a mistake, I would I would be that mistake. So there, there's a big difference between the person who makes a mistake and says, "Yeah, that was a that was a shitty thing I did." I, I uh, you know, let me let me find ways to fix that. Then there's the person that says, "I'm a piece of shit. I'm just a piece of shit. I'll never be anything but that." And you don't doesn't have to come out in those words but that's that's the difference between healthy guilt which allows you to fix things and toxic shame which keeps you stuck within the realm of a label this is this is imprinted on us at a very young age from right. the t- from the time we're children and we carry that until we know better so guilt is i've done something bad shame is i am bad I am bad. Right, I am bad. And there's a lot of different forms of of shame. You know, um there's my first um but I thought a lot about this. There's ancestral shame. And I we inherit a lot from our parents and our our parents' parenting. And you know, I, I came bad. from a dysfunctional right. family kind of and like I'll take for instance my father my father raised his sister, all right, and the family structure was broken, and there was like a lot of abuse and made to feel not even less than, but just you better do this and you better do that. And my father grew up bitter because he had to raise his sister, and the, the age difference was 14 years, and he was a great athlete. And, you know, being a child from an educator you're not doing this right and i took a lot of it to the extreme because to be honest with you i came i was a spiritual being from the womb so like that well, i shame, think we all are that that shame, whether we recognize it or not right so you know shame for an addict or an alcoholic i'll dwell on that for days Years. Like, uh, years. Lifetime. You know, yeah, I'll feel it yeah. for a long time. And I don't think my father knew how to communicate to me when I was needing to be disciplined and stuff because there, it would it, the guilt went to shame so quickly for me 
then if for a normal person, a normal person doesn't feel like that. You know, the God-shaped hole that's inside of me, I'm, I'm raw, I'm sensitive, you know, so I'm going to absorb that shame and I'm going to take it with me. And I had to work on this stuff on my own when I got older. I, I really needed to heal. And it, it's, you know, it's not about parenting or being a good parent or a bad parent. I think some things just get, you know, transferred generationally down <clears throat> until you heal it on your own. Well, it's absolutely not good or bad at all. It just is. Right. And and when I realized that, you know, because I, I held a lot of disdain for, for my biological father, abusive to my mother, abusive to me, really abusive. You know, it, nobody should have to go through that, but but maybe they should, right? So I had to get to a point to where I truly understood that this man was doing the best he could with what he had. Right, right. And I think that's what most – so even at the lesser extremes – you want your kid to excel, and you think in your head that by forcing them to get good grades and saying you have to be an A student, you 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 think that that you're you're helping them. That that's a genuine. You know, people feel that. Right. I, I don't do that with my kids. You, I I can tell if you're slacking off, but I don't care if you get a C. Your life isn't defined by this grade. We're in a different generation now. The generation before us, well, you knew school and you, it's the American dream. You do this to, to get to the white picket right, fence. Right. And the, these labels are – these manufactured dreams are, are pushed onto you at a very young age. And then when you don't – when you don't rise to whatever occasion they're trying to force on you or, or whatever criteria that they're saying makes you good, you carry that. So it's it's rarely – out of somebody being malicious that these that that we take these labels in for me it was overachiever right you know at a very young age and it was funny through and and that's something you can mistakenly let your let your ego get propped up on and carry that through life what age do you think did or did you go into victim mode i i can tell you so through ptsd therapy right i you, you can it's very easy to look at physical abuse and say well that's it and verbal abuse and say, that's it. That's that's where it must have come from. So I went through my life thinking that I have to be stuck there. It wasn't. So there was an incident where so my, my, my dad had broke it. My mom finally left him. I was probably about eight years old. And uh, police got him out of the house. We moved back in. And one night, my dad, and I'm just going to shorten the story so we don't take up the whole thing on this. My dad breaks into the house. Um, at this point, I'm the man of the house. I'm nine years old. My mom's with my aunt. My cousin's younger. My brother's younger. I hear a window break. I come to the, the top of the stairs, and, and my mom and my aunt and my uh, – or not my mom, but my aunt, my brother, and my cousin are huddled at the top. I hear screaming. It's my mom screaming. What's going on? My aunt says, go back to bed, Vinny. And uh, I said, well, no, I, I lied. I said, I got to go to the bathroom. So I, I went down the stairs against her will peeked my head out and uh there's my dad with a knife to my mom's throat and it, it was traumatic right um get the fuck back upstairs blah 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 all these i have to go to the bathroom use the bathroom get back upstairs so he let me go to the bathroom <clears throat> went into the bathroom locked the door climbed out the window ran to a neighbor's house called 911 and that was the last i saw of him for a long time he weaseled his way back into my mom's life 
And, and I thought that was it, right? Traumatic. It's still traumatic. You know, when I think about it, I, I start breathing heavy. Right. But, uh, and I blocked a lot of that out. But it's probably a few months after my dad, you know, under the guise of, oh, I want to see my kids, comes to pick us up. And my mom's young, you know, she was 20 something. I mean, she was 17 when she had me. So at this time she's in her 20s. She's single now. She's out of this abusive relationship. My dad comes to pick us up and she, you know, she goes out. We're supposed to spend the night in his new apartment. Supposedly he's doing better. And uh, me and there was enough, me and my brother and my cousin get in an argument over where we want to go to, to eat. My dad says, fuck you guys, basically. Drops us off in front of my mom's house with nobody there. I still remember the night. It was cold. It was freezing out. So I'm nine and they're both seven at the, or I might've been eight and they were six. Regardless, alone. And I got to, I got to protect these two kids. We're not in the best neighborhood, right? right? So I kick in the back door to the house, eight year old, nine year old, whatever I am, kick in the back door to the house, put furniture up against the door, lay out blankets for my, for my brother and my cousin. And I sleep with a uh, a knife under the pillow in the front room. My mom comes home, and that that was the last time for until I was an adult that I I saw my dad again for even a minute, <clears throat> which makes sense. That's where the that's that's where with PTSD I got stuck. So, and and, and this came out in therapy. I it took a long time to get to. Well, that was that turning point to where I couldn't grow beyond that because I took on the role of overachiever, of protector. Right, right. And whenever, whenever I couldn't protect, you can't protect everybody in the world. You can't care for everybody in the world. I could barely care for myself, but I would push all this outward. And whenever I couldn't be a superhero to to people, which is impossible, right? But that's what I carried. My world would fucking crumble. You know, shame and, yourself, and I, because, it, but I didn't know what was going on, so right. so you start to mask that, right? I, I would find various different ways to mask it: any compulsion, alcohol, drugs, women, gym, work, whatever it was, I, and I would hide behind whatever I was able to accomplish. So if I was drinking, I better drink better than everybody around me. So the victim role, um, the ego will allow the victim to rationalize getting fucked up. And, and, and acting out, it's just what enough shame will do. If I have enough shame and I'm going to play the victim, I can keep it alive. Anything can, is justifiable and, with enough shame. Right. And then my ego will move into my victim mode, keep it alive and keep feeding it and feeding it to rationalize all my bad behavior, the drinking, the alcoholism, the addictions. And, you know, a lot of times we were talking about um, today – Survivor, the difference between looking at yourself as a survivor rather than a victim. Right. And how maybe looking at yourself as a survivor eliminates the shame that comes with keeping the victim mode going. And that's absolutely true. And then when you get to another level of consciousness, survivor, that can either, even be counterproductive because – it is another label. It is. So it you is. can grasp onto right. this, I'm a survivor, which would have to be prefaced by something being done wrong to you. So at a, at a certain True. point, but that, that's, again, that's that's some other level shit. You know, that's that's when you've, but you have to be a survivor first, and then you have to graduate from survivor to- Healing. To I'm just, I'm, I'm in a constant state of healing and right. awareness. Right. They did the best that, the world has done the best right. it could with what it had. Right. I'm not a victim of anything. That just happened. 
I need to I need to move on with. It. So at a certain point, we got to let it all go. All of it, you know, and we were talking about uh, me and you were talking about the program about Alcoholics Anonymous and about other 12 step programs. And and I I don't I, I think those programs are miracles. The fact that they exist without any hierarchical structure and, and money and it's an absolute miracle to pull people out of crisis. What I noticed when when I was bouncing around in the different programs and trying to figure out what's my ailment here? What do I where's my pattern? What do I need to focus on? What I didn't like was uh assigning myself a label. I found for me that it was really counterproductive. Like anytime I put a label on myself, survivor, overachiever, even I'm a filmmaker. Fuck, I couldn't let filmmaker go. It drove me to the poorhouse. You know what I mean? It drove me to the poorhouse because I couldn't, I was a filmmaker. That's what I did. That was, that was what propped my ego up and allowed me to, to feel like I was a man, which my father would tell me I wasn't. And I couldn't let it go. For the life of me. That's the, I think when you start removing labels or how you identify yourself, that is like a level of consciousness that's coming near the end of actualization. Yeah. Yeah. So that I'm a light being. Right. You know, that I am a healer. I have healed myself and I have been able to heal others and you know, I'm just a light being. I'm ready to be the change. I'm ready to be the change and sharing that with other individuals and helping other individuals heal. Shame, you know, was hard for me. I did not really recognize it uh, for a long time um, just because, you know, trauma and stuff and the way that I looked at things, I knew there was something different about me young. I I was very spiritually conscious when I was a kid, and things affected me. I was very sensitive, and I could take so that shame and that guilt, and oof, you know, it would get me like in the heart, and like I didn't understand why for a long time until I picked up my first drink, and I, oof, everything's right with the world now. I'm no long. I didn't no longer felt separate. You got that connection, yeah. In that bottle, there was a connection right. there. And and it was hard because, you know, in a single fa- single parent household, you know, my dad was doing what he knew what to do, but there was always a battle. We were always battling a lot of the time, and I didn't want to be disciplined. I wanted to do, I I wanted the experience of being able to learn everything on my own. I no longer like. I just wanted. Like, I'll figure it out on my own. If I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail. But the bombardment, you know, of trying to tell me what's right and what's wrong and where I'm going no longer interests me. So I'm going to go do what the fuck I want to do. And you know he had the best intentions. Oh, I know. I know. I I just think we didn't speak the same language. And that's, you know, communication, man. It's... What I work on with my kids, every I learn so much through them. I, by quashing the ego, I can actually get in. A lot of times when I'm saying, "Don't you're procrastinating," I'm like, "Fuck, I do the same thing." You know what I mean? So I'm constantly talking to myself. But you got to be, you got to be open to that. And I don't know if you lived in a situation where you know money is a problem. Oh well, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and my my mom, you know, she's raising these kids and. And then, you know, my stepdad came into play who was an artist and they they struggled, man. So when life is set up to where you have to survive, 
you don't have time to communicate. You know, it, it's difficult to to try to break down the conversation and communicate because you're so busy just trying to live. A lot of it was, I think, in his perception was, I need you to do this, this, and this. Right. <laughs> and I wasn't doing it. And he didn't understand what's going on because I had a lot of internal struggle. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it, it was sad. I never allowed my dad any to any of my sports games because kind of I thought he would treat me the same way that he treated academically because he was always on my ass about academics. So I thought, like, man, if he sees me fuck up playing ball. You're not allowed. He, he's going to talk, you know, that he would critique me and judge me. So, you know, I, I, man, eighth grade. I mean, I had a triple-double. I scored 30 (laughs) points in a game. He never saw the game. You know, I never really allowed him too close to the court. And, I, you know, I have a little shame about it now. You know, we can joke about it now. But, you know, I just, you know, know, it's just I had to do things my way. You know, I had to learn my way. And I had to heal on my own. You know, from from the alcoholism and the addiction, you know, I remember my old man taking me up to this uh, treatment center up north on the reservation, and I looked at him, and it was after a relapse, and it was the only place I could get into. They were going to let me stay there for 30 days. It was like 1500 bucks, And I told him, because it was like up in the UP, it was far, and I looked at him, and I'm like, look, man, if I don't die sober, this whole life will have been a fucking waste. I will have wasted my entire fucking journey here. And he looked at me just stunned. Just like, well, it it, it wouldn't be. I'm like, you, you're looking at my disease. You know, I'm a full fucking blown alcoholic. If I don't get this now, this whole life will have been for nothing. And I think it was at that point that he understood what I was really about. Well, what you said to him in that moment, and whether it was with those words, but what he probably understood, and I wasn't there, right? But but I understand the nuances of people. What you said is you, to your dad, you haven't even met me. I haven't met you. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's how I, because I went through my whole life and I didn't know the people closest to me. I didn't know how, because I didn't know me. I didn't know me. I was so shrouded in in this perfectionism is a disease, right? I I just remember being with football with me. It was, I knew there was an athlete in there, but I would always fuck things up because I was so scared of failing that. So I would just quit. I would just quit. I couldn't, couldn't do it anymore because I was so petrified of being put down for not being perfect. You know, I see little nuances in my daughter now. And this is a normal thing for a kid. It's it's not, but it, it I relate to it. So she's really into piano, really into singing. Very smart kid. And my son, very very intelligent kid. He doesn't have this problem. She does. She does not want to be embarrassed. And she, I remember, I used to think I should just be good at shit. You right, know, what right. I, I should yeah. just be able to go do something and yeah. be good like everybody else that I see. Like I don't have to practice. Right. I don't have <laughs> to practice. I don't have to learn. I should just be good at it because yeah. I want to be. Right. And my my perfectionism 
my fear of failure, my fear of being ridiculed, because this all goes back to pops, right? right you know what right. I mean? This all goes back to shame and guilt, shame and guilt, shame, shame and, and guilt. guilt. It, but it was it was PTSD, man. It was so so deeply ingrained that I couldn't even consciously dissect what was going on. But it kept me from doing so many. It, it stunned my growth, and yeah. it, it really yeah. took the it. Not it definitely took the trauma that I experienced to rattle me enough to where I had to evaluate myself and say, "Dude, you, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is going on with you, but this is not life, and you don't even know the people you love. They don't know you because you're too scared to let them in, and that's what led me down the path too. So I can relate to that moment. I haven't had that conversation with with my mom. You know, we, we've, you know, we've had a, a good relationship and she, she actually was a hero. You know what I mean? Yeah. She was a hero. She did the best she could with what she had. None of us are perfect. My parent, uh, my kids are going to have shit to say about me when they're older too. Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to look back and say, Hey, I yeah. try, you know, it's part, it's package deal, you know, but the path to healing is, is it's honestly, it's through suffering. You know, it, you, you gotta suffer enough to know that something's off and thank, thank God that, uh, that I did, that you did, you know, I, I wish there was a way, and I don't know that there is to, to, I think these podcasts, these things that happen now, these long form conversations that people are starting to tune into, um, there was an, um, I, I think they're extremely important because you get to watch people actually talk. There's, there's not so much of an agenda behind it. There's conversations happening with people who've experienced real things. I think that helps. But you're only going to hear when you're ready to hear. You're only going to see when oh, you're yeah. ready to see. Yeah, I wish that's uh, that's funny you say that because sometimes I can see people and I'm like, you're hearing me, but you're not listening to me. Right. <laughs> you're just not ready. No, 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 man. I'm listening. I'm listening. I can hear. I'm like, no, dog. I, I I wish you were. I really wish you were, but you're just not ready for what I'm bringing you. You're just not. Your consciousness just isn't there. And I've broken it down as simple as I possibly can, and you're still not being able to digest it. And there's nothing you can do except no. planting seeds is. I love doing that. I love planting spiritual seeds. You know, I won't be able to see them come to fruition all the time because I can plant tons of spiritual seeds in people, and it's for someone else to see. You got to plant that seed, and I can't remember where this quote comes from, but I love it. The man who plants a seed knowing that the tree's not going to grow for another 20 years, right. and you're not even going to be around to see it. And it's all good. That's being it's all the change. Good. That's all you can do. It's all you can do. And, and, you know, we were talking about socioeconomic shame, you know, growing up poor, huge, you know, not having enough, huge, being judged, huge, and walking with that and (laughs) and staying in the cycle and and, and generational cycle of shame because you're no longer, you you can't move out, you know, you are caught in the tornado. Well, that's that pop. Remember, we we keep talking about the pop culture bubble. It's a fucking disease, man. Cause I didn't, I didn't have a problem with being poor until somebody made fun of me for it. I didn't. I, we used to dig through uh, Goodwill drop boxes for our school club. We were oh, poor, yeah. man. I remember waiting in the the lines to get the cheese and that that kind of. Sh- had no problem with that. We were happy till you go to school and some asshole says, "Ah, you got floods." 
oh, now I got to fight you. You know what I mean? So that's that's how it grows is that, you know, that's why pop culture is a disease in that way. It's because, and fuck, man, with social media now, when it's used in the negative way, I, it would be so tough to be a kid because you can't leave school and not be bullied. It's around you and your phone 24 hours a day. But it's disgusting the things that and if and if you are a person who suffers from toxic shame ptsd anything like that which a lot of us do to get bombarded with that how do you get through that like how do you net other than you do one of two things you you completely detach from it and and you're jesus right Right, right. you know what i mean so you completely detach and you say well and you understand when you're six years old i'm i'm in this world but i'm not of it you know what i mean you or you you uh, do things for instant gratification to prop your ego to the point to where you don't have to feel that anguish, you know, and or you hope for trauma. You hope for the trauma that that will or, or something. The the uh, the breakthrough usually comes in the form of trauma. Sixth grade, man, I had three pairs of pants and like five shirts. My dad was freshly divorced, and uh, money money was low. Money was real low, like. In the eighties, if you were, you know, it just divorces weren't good, you know, and it was very rare for a child to go move with their father. And I remember my dad was, you know, teaching year round and then teaching summer school and redoing the house at the same time. And I remember that sixth grade year, I only had three pairs of pants and like four shirts, and people could guess my rotation. Of my clothes. <laughs> That's where it snapped for me. Six grade. I started talking shit. And I was like, ooh, man. Like, you know, there was a lot of wealthy people at my middle school and stuff. And I remember watching one girl. She never wore the same outfit twice in the entire year. And I remember being angry. You know, I was very angry at uh, that I had less than, you know. And I remember... Uh, because pop culture makes you think you're not supposed to. Right, you that need you're more. you're bad for you know, that. You know, Francis Jabot, we need those Francis Jabot jeans, man. <laughs> I need yeah. those Cavaricis, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have that. And I'm glad my dad didn't dress me up like that to make me. Um, to even, addict you to it. Right. Even though I might have felt some shame going through that period of time. Watching my dad survive and learning how to survive um, only made me stronger. Going it, without made me stronger. It, it it did for me too. I feel for the people who don't get stronger. And that, that, that that's the status quo. It's out of control now. Suicides are at an all-time high. Yeah, yeah. Drug use, um, People are prescribed things from the time they're children. How How is your brain ever supposed to function properly if at eight years old you're on Ritalin? Your brain chemistry is all jacked up, and now you got you got the internet saying this is – you look bad. Vince, you had a little anxiety before the show. I, I got a doctor who might be able to prescribe you something for you that. You got something you know? for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a doctor, man. Let me get that number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it, it's, uh, it's insanity. It really is. It's insanity. I remember sitting – sitting in a meeting with uh, the counselor at my kid's school at, at, for Vinny, ADHD, or he has tendencies. He hasn't been diagnosed, right? right he's right. a 10-year-old kid, but he doesn't have education problems. So he's too smart to get an independent education program. It's just his behavior. 
it throws the class off when he fidgets, you know, that kind of thing. And I could see the agenda. And he goes to a good school, and they're they're real sympathetic to this time. It's a great, it's the best school for him. But I could hear the tone, and everybody. And again, if you're a psychologist and you've been trained in in the way, in the traditional way that says in the textbooks, it's chemical imbalance. There's a chemical solution, right? So I'm sitting here listening to this, and I'm and I said, look, I'm not discounting what you're saying, but I'm going to research this myself. And I left that meeting saying to myself, if I have to sell my business and homeschool him until he grows out of this, which I know he will, then that's what I'm going to do. I have the luxury, I guess, of doing that, you know. Right. But it it was it was tough. You know, that that was real tough to sit in that meeting and 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 I just put try to put it into perspective from the position of a parent who doesn't have that that out you know what i mean my kid has to go to this school has to go to this school i don't even have time to put into this at what point do you feel your arms twisted you get that prescription you have no block to toxic shame at that point you have no block to anything at that point because your chemicals have been altered you're literally addicted to whatever substance it is they put into your body I remember being on antidepressants once when I was first diagnosed with PTSD. I said, I'm not, I'm not depressed. <laughs> he says, well, you don't seem depressed. Well, why are you giving me this? I forget what it was. He said, well, just try it out. And there was some other shit too that they had to test my liver for, serious stuff. And I took it for a couple days and I said, I feel like a zombie. I can't write. There's nothing good about me. I hate this. I want nothing to do with it. He tells me, wait 30 days. You'll get used to it. Essentially, what they're saying is get yourself hooked on it. Right. And then you'll fall into this new pattern and you'll be better for everybody else. How could that not be shit? Think about this. Think, you know, and, and here's why I, I veered away from religion at a young age. How could you not be burdened with toxic shame when you have a, an entire sect of, of religious following telling you you're born in original sin? You're born less than. The only way you cannot be less than is to bow to this thing you can't see right. that doesn't seem to be helping you when you're at your deepest and darkest. And, and that's that's the only way out is to to become subordinate. That's power structure. If I if I've ever seen oh, one. That's all. But that's how, how can you how do you not carry you see what's going on in the Catholic Church? And I'm not bashing any religion. I think people that follow principles that make them a better person. I'm all, I'm all for them. I don't care what you call them. But how can you tell somebody that you're born less than, that you're, you know, you're, my opinion, you're beautiful just because you're here. This is, you're, you're manifest in, in whatever you think God's image is. Right. You're manifest in that and you're here to experience for this, this infinite being that cannot experience without you. How are you powerless? How are you weak? How are you, how are you an original sinner? Break that down. You, you know what sin means, right? In Aramaic? What it actually is, sin. I'll break it down. My Aramaic's not that good. Lately. <laughs> I'll unpack this Aramaic for you. So, <laughs> sin is an archery term. All it means in the way that Christ spoke it literally is to miss the mark. So when you say sin, you miss the mark. It's an archery term. But it, it's been it's been when the power structures got a hold of this, it's been used to make you feel less than. We all sin. That's okay if you miss the mark. We're born missing the mark. We're human. Right, that's what we do. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. Yeah, it's uh, how do you not carry toxic shame? What do you? What has to happen? How do you do it without the trauma? 
Is there a way? I don't. I think if you are, if you're parented healthy, if, if your parents are healthy, love. a lot of love, yeah. you know, unconditional, and, uh, unconditional, and and show you. It's interesting because I've seen a lot of parents that are in recovery parenting their children. You know, one of my best friends is an excellent parent, and the way he does it is, believe it or not, you know, they're Catholic. They go to Catholic church, and they all participate, but it's all about, like, honesty and truth, and I don't know. It's just It's just different. There's no... Judgment? <laughs> yeah, there's no judgment. There's no, you know, <coughs> damn, you fucked up. You know, there's none of that. No God-fearing? No like, God-fearing. What the fuck is that yeah, term? God, you know, why should you fear? what? Right. Ma- there's none of that. It's all about, you know, love and oneness. The oneness. That's important. And the oneness, you know, I talk about it a lot with a lot of different spiritual folks because it's 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 far off. You know, on the earth, in society, on this planet, in humanity, it's all about division. You watch TV, it's all about division. It's all about I'm better than you. I got more than you. I'm going to shame you, make you feel guilty, make you feel less than, boost myself up because my ego needs to be bigger than yours. Right. I need to be more powerful than you. And in the spirit realm, it's the exact opposite. It's that we're all one, that we're all interconnected, that all living energy is gravitating and and there's energy going around this room right now right in between this space where you and I are sitting there can't not be there's an energy field you know and same with the engineer over there and it's all circulating around and that is the oneness and when i walk out whether you're connected whether you're the ego monger you know status seeking materialistic person if i'm standing next to you my energy that energy flow will still be there where your consciousness is at is strictly on you only you can change that only you can change your vibration it's all frequency it's all free so the, the thing based on what you're saying the energy so quantum physics the birth of my son, ketamine, quantum physics. I've, I've talked about it on every. That's what led me. The K hole. I mean, it, it was <laughs> ketamine, psychedelic therapy, the birth of my son, and uh. quantum physics. So when I started understanding quantum, I don't know why I gravitated towards it, but it made sense to me. It made absolute sense. I heard about the double slit experiment, and all of a sudden, I'm off to the races. I couldn't stop reading Michio Kaku and Stephen Hawking and. And I don't think they know how spiritual they are, but that's how I took it. Like the spiritual right. implications of quantum physics just took me out to this new – like there was – at this point, there was no – I have unshakable faith at this point that there is something bigger. Don't know what it is. Don't need to define it. My ego does. I could care less. I just know that we're bound by compassion. I know that because the population continues to get bigger. No matter how bad you say the world is, no matter how bad somebody might say their parents are, somebody fed you a bottle. Yeah, so, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. it's hard to raise a kid. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, oh, yeah. So if there wasn't an Especially ingrained— Especially if you're raising it on your own, well, you know? And if there isn't compassion ingrained in our in our DNA as human beings, if that wasn't there, why wouldn't you just walk away? Fuck it. You know what I mean? Right, it's a lot. Right. But in terms of energy, so it's the uh, poly-exclusion principle. And in the poly-exclusion principle, just to uh, for the layperson, it's— 
no electron can occupy the same space at the same time. Right. Cannot. That's why we can't go through the wall. But atoms are energy. There is no. There is no true. The mass is minimal, but it's energy. It's energy. I mean, if it wasn't for that, you could pass through everything. So literally, we're floating about a nanometer above these chairs right now. All we are is a combination of electrical impulses. That's it. There is no empty space. There's there's probably nanometers past or, or uh, what are they called? Not nanometers. Um, neutrinos. Neutrinos, about 60 million passing through your body a day from the sun. Something like that. I just threw that number out there. But these are these they don't they don't have those elect. They're able to pass through everything. So how are we not connected? You know, that that blew my mind. And then I started, Michu Kaku gave the best, the best description that I've ever heard because I was trying to put this into perspective. So if we're all frequency, how, you know, and there's, there's these alternative lifetimes happening simultaneous with us right here based on choices, based on frequency, how does that work? Because I know physical, I know physical. How does that happen? So Michio Kaku said, "Well, picture this: you're driving, you're driving on a, and I, I'm thinking L.A. because I, because when I think of traffic, that's what I think about, and I know how long you're stuck there. So you're sitting in traffic and you're listening to a radio station, and everything you hear is real. What the DJ is saying, the music that's right. playing, that's a very real experience in your car. Now the car next to you, they're listening to something completely different. Maybe it's Mozart." That's very real to them. We could argue all day about what was real and what's not. But the 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 point is, is that in that moment, there's hundreds upon hundreds of radio waves passing through your body, delivering different signals, depending on what it is that you're tuned into. It's all frequency. And that frequency is determining your experience that's in the car. Absolutely. That's generating emotions. That's going to ultimately either move your vibration or lower it, you know. It's just like when you hear that song that takes you back to wherever, mm -hmm. you know. And From a quantum physics perspective, that experience never left you. No, you know? no, I know, I know. It's still, it, it, it's still there, I know. But it's a, it, it, it does. It, it takes you to that, that place. So how do we elevate our frequency without the trauma? What... What needs to happen? or You have to heal. Healing, I, I believe that the healing piece, so I get sober, I learn how to recover, and I start to grow my spiritual experience. And I, and I came to a point where I was reading everything, uh, Buddhism books, uh, the Tao of Pooh, the Day of Piglet, you know, I was just clearing Emmett Fox books. I was just crushing as much information as I could. And I needed to understand, like, how to allow the journey to be the journey and to remove my expectations of how I think I should be treated. Get out of your own way. Get out of my own way and and how to incorporate love and compassion towards all beings. That was the switch. And I'll say that I, I practiced it. It was a practice. It wasn't like, 
boom, switch came on. Yeah, absolutely not. And I'm straight up light <laughs> being. That's when the work starts. Right. So you have the I, realization, then the work starts. Right. So I understood that I wanted to be in love and compassion and as much as I can, and I, that I was not separate from God, that I was not separate from the universe. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, everyone, there is no external God for me, that I'm in the presence of God, that the God of my understanding dwells inside me, that we are one, just as the external I am one, and that I'm just really a light being along for the ride, trying to help out others on my journey. And that's all I can do. I take it a step further. I, I believe we are the evolution. I think human consciousness is extremely important. I, I don't know how even a scientist could look at billions upon billions of years. Um, and, then, and then even within the theory of evolution, which doesn't hold true for human beings, but that's a whole nother show. Um, and, and I'm not a creationist either, but there is science that says we're not related to Neanderthals. You a flat earther? I am definitely not a flat earther. <laughs> I, I can look out my window and look at shadows. You know, yeah, I've right. seen an eclipse with yeah. my own eyes, so right. I, I'm going to have to go ahead and, and notch that one up as nonsense. But right. um, I, I lost my train of thought. You threw me with flat yeah, earth. I, and I, I started to throw it out there, yeah. man. You know, you never know. I mean, I don't know nothing. You know, I don't claim to be an aficionado on anything. Um, I just... I just know that the consciousness that we're trying to do here and and bring it and, and elevate it amongst the people uh, that follow the page, that you can be the change. You brought me back. You brought me back because that, that was the point is I believe, I believe, and this is just me, and it's based on the most important science that I feel is introspection through my own experience I believe that we're the evolution. I don't think God, whatever God is, whatever the universe is, whatever the source is, whatever right. you want to call the that one thing, source. that thing that we're all connected to and trying to get back to, whether we call it a Big Bang or whatever right. it is, we're the evolution of that. We're here. So if you if you think about consciousness as a whole, right? And I, I heard a great analogy in regards to consciousness as it being an infinite movie screen where everything is projected onto this screen. The screen doesn't need anything. The screen is not malleable. The screen is infinite. The screen is perfect as it is. But the screen can't experience phenomena. So we are the projections that exist on this screen. We're the, the only way for... So why would that happen if whatever that infinite source is doesn't need to evolve further? So I believe, and maybe I don't think it's ego... Um, cause in order for consciousness to experience phenomena, it has to shrink itself into something finite, which is us. Right. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Cause I, and again, to, you know, really dig into this, you have to come from the consciousness first, um, school of thought. Not, so there, there's the materialist school of thought where matter produced all of this, right. right? You know, there was a big bang and then there was right, matter right. and then consciousness was derived from that. Then there's consciousness is everything. Nothing exists without consciousness. That's the school of thought that I come from. And I've, I've researched it intensely and that's what I believe to be true. But I, you know, taking it into a, uh, a spiritual realm, I believe that, that we're helping like People will say, oh, I really pray to God. And I'm like, no, God's praying to you. God's praying to you. God's really hoping you get this shit right. 
because God needs something from you. Otherwise, why would God, and I'm using God, not in a religious sense, but why would the source put you here? If the source didn't believe that you had the ability to further whatever that thing is that wherever we're going in this infinite universe that doesn't stop moving, wherever we go, we're going, why would you be here if you didn't have purpose? And I think that's where the toxic shame starts to slip away. How do you get to that point? Once you find out your purpose? Well, it's just knowing that you are purpose. Right. You don't even have to identify, even though it's important to, to identify what your meaning is. And But I don't think that we have to search for enlightenment. I think we are enlightenment. In fact, I know we are enlightenment. We're enlightened just by being here. There's extreme importance to us. I think the whole journey is about letting go of the bad, faulty subconscious programming, which is the human experience. And in the letting go of that and achieving what we as human beings would consider enlightenment, there's something that evolves the infinite. That's, and I just went to a, a whole different place with, but, but when you know that you are purpose, I don't need a purpose. I am purpose in that you find purpose. Yeah, I think you need to plug into the universe um, to have that awakening. Yeah. And, I, you know, the universe will play with you, so to speak, once you power up into it. You know, universe, God, the one source. Let's, let's do this once thing. Once you have the relationship. You now we're build, communicating. You yeah. have to build the relationship. Yeah. And I had to build some trust with my, the power of my understanding because I was angry. Mm -hmm. I, the thing is I knew God existed when I was young and I felt betrayed. I felt that God had turned its back on me and, you know, I wanted to run as far from it as I possibly could. And it just, it's like going home to your parent after you threw a big hissy fit i'm running away <laughs> you know and you run back home because you're hungry and you need something and it's kind of like that's what happened when i was you know getting into recovery it's like you you return home and it's like look i'm i'm broken and i'm beat down and i don't know what to do and once i was able to clear away all the prejudices and the non- the beliefs that were full of shit that were ingrained by society and programming mm -hmm. and all the bullshit. Once I stripped that all away and it's just me and my higher power communicating, um, then the shame starts to dissipate, starts to dissipate yeah. and the love and compassion. My God taught me how to f let that be. Okay. Let that be okay as a man in this world. You know, love and compassion isn't very masculine, you know, and and how to let my emotions be my emotions and how to own them and be okay with them because I didn't really like talking about emotions. I, sometimes I still don't. I'll still close down sometimes, you know, but it's it's a process that I'm learning. But by helping others, because that's pretty much what I do for a living, it allows the growth in me, the God in me, to like expand and show me more 
than I could have ever imagined. You know, we we block it. Oh, these, I can these, block it good these, these this faulty programming, and I don't think it's by design. I think it is the human. It's it's what the the experience is. I think to transcend this conditioning, that is what this is about. And it doesn't matter how you do that, um, just as long as it's done with compassion. And we know the difference between light and dark. Th- those are easy things to describe. And and we know what it feels like to be in light and to be in dark. So anything that you do that fills you with light, well, that's the right way. You know, nobody can tell you that. Nobody can nobody can make you feel that. You know, you know, your consciousness knows the difference between light and dark. And that's really, that's really the only aspiration that I think we need to have. We put so much stuff on our kids and things are put on us as kids. And, and at the end, when you're sitting on your deathbed, you know, so many things wind up not even being important. They, They just become irrelevant. And you look at this life and this beautiful experience that it could, the, the beautiful experience that it could have been, you know, and, and again, who knows what happens after this, right? Who knows if reincarnation is it? Who knows? I, I don't know. Don't care. It's not relevant to this experience right now. All I know is I don't want to get to that bed and not have experienced everything that there was to experience. I don't know if I'll reach that goal. Again, irrelevant because eventually you start to find ecstasy in the journey. It's not so much about a goal anymore. Every day, I just want to be a little bit better than I was the day before. Every day, I want to be just a little bit more aware than I was before. Toxic shame. You talked about what I call ego death, what Eckhart Tolle would call ego death too. So when I was when I was in my deepest, darkest anguish and what eventually was defined as uh, uh, emotional flashbacks and where I would use alcohol as a source to perpetuate this, when I would get done, you know, I'd, when I would get done beating myself to death, I would be so in touch when I was broken, so in touch with whatever this is. I felt light. I was unencumbered because I had beaten my ego into complete submission. It had no p- pull over me. Because I couldn't present it to anybody else because I had just done my, I had completely beat myself into a ground, into the ground in a very visible manner. I couldn't, I couldn't hide behind the things that I had propped myself up on anymore. I was broken. And in that brokenness, I found wholeness. You know, I I wrote this poem and, and it's probably one, probably my favorite line that I ever wrote. But in my flaws, I found perfection. And until you get to the point to where you you tip, you tip the scales into, into the the spiritual realm, whatever that is for you, until you get to that point, I don't think you can ever know what that means. You can look at it and say, well, that's that sounds pretty, but fuck right. you, fuck you very much. That's that, a nice. That, that's a nice little one liner right there. Yeah. What know? is that poetry? Yeah. Where did that come from? Who are you saying that for? Right. <laughs> you know. Right. I mean? But the toxic shame had to go. For me, I had to beat my ego, and it was had such a pull on me that my ego had to be beaten into submission. I had to suffer every bit of trauma I've ever suffered to get to the point to where I didn't have to anymore. To me, it's all beautiful. There's people in my life 
who have gone through those things with me that would beg to differ. They would say, fuck you for what you put me through, playing victim, right? right? right. For what you put me through. And, uh, no, we were doing a soul dance. You know what I mean? We we engaged in, in some kind of soul dance, and I learned my lesson. You might not have, but that's okay. You know, but for me, I look back on it all, and I say, fuck, man. And it's not to say, let's go back to guilt. There, it's not to say that times where I hurt people that I loved, that I didn't feel guilty, I felt guilty. It bothered me, you know, but I don't dwell on it anymore. It's not a part of my being. It's a thing that happened that I learned from. But if I didn't learn from it, if I wasn't open to being wrong, I would carry the toxic shame to my deathbed. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, you know, it's it's funny because, like, we shame each other a lot. <laughs> Even you do it, you do it so often, you know, it, and it was interesting. I asked one of my friends at the gym, you know, and he, I, I asked him what he, like, he's like, dude, we shame each other all the time. All the time. <laughs> and That's what guys do. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, remember our boy who whenever, like, we didn't want to do something. He'd be like, come on, man. <laughs> and I was like, huh? He's like, he's guilting you. He's making you feel guilty. And that's just a different form of shaming. And we do it all the time, indirectly, all the time. And when you're bombarded with it after a while, subconsciously and consciously, it's going to weigh on you and in your energetic flow. That's why you got to catch the nuances. Yeah. That's where I am. It's all about the nuances. I, I don't I don't have this, what I thought was innate urge to self-destruct. It's not as prevalent. It's not as surface visible as it once was. The, the consequences are only for me to see. So we talked the other day. If I have a great day at the gym and I'm eating right, everything's feeling good, sometimes – I feel like I, there's a white castle down the street from my house, not bashing white castle, but I am. It's horrible. It's fucking horrible food. It's bad for you. And I don't even eat it, but I, I for some reason I want to go gorge. I'm not even hungry. I might have eaten the, the perfect dinner. This just happened a few weeks ago. That in my head that that there's there's a self-destruction there and we can brush that off. It's socially acceptable. Like telling your buddy, oh, you fucking asshole, don't be a pussy. Uh, Socially acceptable. It's how we, you know, we're men. That's how we communicate. And yeah, we do to a certain extent. Our fear of, because sometimes that affects us. And we notice that it affects us in a way that we don't want it to affect us. Or we wind up in a situation that we would prefer that we weren't in. And uh, and we're afraid to say anything because there's more shame to follow. You know, that's going back to my kids. I try not to. I try not to say you're wrong. I try I try to say, well, you got to think about that. That was, you shouldn't have done that. It's so hard. It's such a fine line because, you know, as spiritual as I believe I am and, and you are, still not there. There's uh, still so much shit oh, that we got to yeah. navigate through. And, oh, and, yeah. But it's in the nuances. That's why I have that calendar in my room that I walk by every day. And if there's a series of X's that aren't crossed off on that calendar and these five daily practices – that visual presentation of my life, I say, well, I got to go back and live those days. I missed my writing, and it's usually writing for whatever reason. Um, but it's it's that daily reminder. 
it's kind of like an affirmation. No, you're missing something. You're missing something. Go get back in there and figure out what's going on and, and put some, sometimes it's just putting the work in. Yeah. And and I also think who, who you're surrounded with, you know, that's huge. Um, my circle's small, man, you know, uh, there we go with, you know, uh, it came at the end. Right. I, I just, I surround myself with people that inspire me. And people that inspire me don't shame me. Don't guilt me. You know, there's just like a relationship of truth there. And I love surrounding myself with people that inspire me. Right. Because people who are caught up in the societal, material, CNN, Fox News, lifestyle. Talking about the bulk of the population now. I know. (laughs) How are you inspiring me if you're caught up in that reality? Right. Your whole demeanor and your whole attention is focused in on outer, external shit. And you're missing... the beautiful spiritual peace inside. And that's why they need the light. You know, that's where you plug yourself in to be the, the brightest light you can possibly be. And that that's easier said than done, you know. Look within. Look well <laughs> and that's what it's all about, right? It's it, it, toxic. Much. How do how do you how do you navigate your way through toxic shame to the other end to where you gotta look within. So I, I would hate when people said that to me and I didn't understand what the hell it meant. No, I need you to tell me the answer. You tell me because people have been telling me what I should and shouldn't do my whole fucking life. I need to know. You tell me. That's what I would go to counselors for. I would go to them and I would say, you tell me. I wouldn't say it like that, but that's what I was looking for. Just do it for me. Do all this stuff for me. You have to have the I didn't trust myself. I was still shameful. I, I didn't trust myself. I didn't. I didn't know how truly empowered we are as human beings to be able to go inside and, and lo and behold, it's all there. You know, I was so busy looking outward because I was buried in toxic, toxic shame and I didn't, I didn't truly love myself. I don't think I did. I, I think it's hard to when you're buried in shame. It's hard to love anybody else when, when your entire existence is fear-based yeah. and shame-centered. You know, I have right. to do this because... This person will think this, or this person will think this. This will think this. I'm always being judged. What the fuck is that? You know? That, that chatter. Yeah. How, you got to cut that chatter down. You got to get rid of that voice. So That um, ego, that ego voice. Beat that ego into submission. You you know, it's, it's funny. At work, there's an IOP group, and we were all talking about ego and how it starts to do this chit chatter and these guys don't know what to do. And I was having a rough day coming into work. My ego was rambling in my mind. I told the dudes, I was like, man, today I had to tell my ego to eat turds. (laughs) And they looked at me. They're like, you're one crazy son of a bitch. And I'm like, man, my, my ego responds. If I tell my ego to go eat turds or do something, the voice does lessen and it goes away. Well, because the ego's sensitive. And right. He was like, "Well, fuck you." Right. I'm you going, know, fuck you. I don't need you. Well, you do. <laughs> right. And so it, it's it's funny how to get rid of the ego, 
you know, and it, it's hard. It's a hard process. And we only have one minute here, but I would find the truth of yourself because the ego is the one that's always telling you that you're not worth this, the self-worthlessness, not good enough, incorporating fear into every decision-making thing, edging God out, all of it, that needs spiritual guidance. It does. And we're at the end. And if you have more questions on toxic shame, you can always feel free to message us directly. Um, there was there was my um right at the end. I got you, suckers. All right. For everybody who tuned in, if you sent questions already, we'll respond to them. Thank you. And we'll see you in two weeks.